Chapter Four, Part One of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gamblers, Part One. Won't you come over to see me tonight? Just a friendly little game, my dear. Our own crowd, you know. There was something in the purring tone of the invitation of the woman across the hall from Constance Dunlap's apartment that aroused her curiosity. Thank you, I believe I will, answered Constance. It's lonely in a big city without friends. Indeed it is, agreed Bella Lamar. I've been watching you for some time and wondering how you stand it. Now be sure to come, won't you? I shall be glad to do so, assured Constance, as they reached their floor and parted at the elevator door. She had been watching the other woman, too, although she had said nothing about it. A friendly little game, repeated Constance to herself. That sounds as if it had the tang of an adventure in it. I'll go. The Mayfair Arms, in which she had taken a modest suite of rooms, was a rather recherche apartment, and one of her chief delights since she had been there had been in watching the other occupants. There had been much to interest her in the menage across the hall. Mrs. Bella Lamar, as she called herself, was of a type rather common in the city, an attractive widow on the safe side of forty, well-groomed, often daringly gowned. Her brown eyes snapped vivacity, and the pert little nose and racy expression of the mouth confirmed the general impression that Mrs. Lamar liked the good things of life. Quite naturally, Constance observed, her neighbor had hosts of friends who often came early and stayed late, friends who seemed to exude, as it were, an air of prosperity and high living. Clearly, she was a woman to cultivate. Constance felt even more interest in her now that Mrs. Lamar had pursued a bowing acquaintance to the point of an unsolicited invitation. A friendly little game, she speculated. What is the game? That night found Constance at the buzzer beside the heavy mahogany door across the hall. She wore a new evening gown of warm red. Her face glowed with heightened color, and her nerves were on the qui vive for the unlocking at last of the mystery of the fascinating Mrs. Lamar. "'So glad to see you, my dear,' smiled Bella, holding out her hand engagingly. "'You are just in time.' Already several of the guests had arrived. There was an air of bonhomie as Bella presented them to Constance. A stocky, red-faced man with a wide chest and narrow waist, Ross Watson. A tall, sloping-shouldered man who inclined his head forward earnestly when he talked to a lady and spoke with animation, Haddon Halsey. And a fair-haired, baby-blue-eyed little woman gowned in becoming pink, Mrs. Lansing Noble. "'Now we're all here, just enough for a game,' remarked Bella in a business-like tone. "'Oh, I beg pardon. You play, Mrs. Dunlap?' she added to Constance. "'Oh, yes,' Constance replied. "'Almost anything, a little bit.' She had already noted that the chief object in the room, after all, appeared to be a round table. About it the guests seemed naturally to take their places. "'What shall it be tonight? Bridge?' asked Watson, nonchalantly fingering a little pack of gilt-edged cards which Bella had produced. "'Oh, no!' cried Mrs. Noble. "'Bridge is such a bore.' "'Rum?' "'No, no, the regular game. Poker.' "'A dollar limit?' "'Oh, make it five. drawled Halsey impatiently. Watson said nothing, but Bella patted Halsey's hand in approval, as if all were on very good terms indeed. Oh, "'I think that would make a nice little game,' she cut in, opening a drawer from which she took out a box of blue, red, and white chips of real ivory. Watson seemed naturally to assume the role of banker. "'Aren't you going to join us?' asked Constance. "'Oh, I seldom play. You know I'm too busy entertaining you people,' excused Bella as she bustled out of the room, 
reappearing a few minutes later with the maid and a tray of slender hollow stem glasses with a bottle wrapped in a white napkin in a pail of ice mrs noble shuffled the cards with practised hand and watson kept a calculating eye on every face luck was not with constance on the first deal and she dropped out mrs noble and halsey were betting eagerly watson was coolly following along until the showdown which he won of all things exclaimed the little woman in pink plainly betraying her vexation at losing will luck never turn halsey said nothing constance watched in amazement this was no friendly little game the faces were too tense too hectic the play was too high and the desire to win too great mrs lamar was something more than a gracious hostess in her solicitude for her guests all the time the pile of chips in front of watson kept building up at each new deal a white chip was placed in a little box the kitty for the cards and refreshments it was in reality one of the new style gambling joints for men and women the gay parties of callers on mrs lamar were nothing other than gamblers the old gambling dens of the ice-box doors and steel gratings of white-coated servants with free food and drink had passed away with reform here was a remarkable new phase of sporting life which had gradually taken its place constance had been looking about curiously in the meantime on a table she saw copies of the newspapers which published full accounts of the races something that looked like a racing sheet and a telephone conveniently located near writing materials it was a pool room too then in the daytime she reasoned surely in the next room when the light was on she saw what looked like a miniature roulette wheel not one of the elaborate affairs of bright metal and ebony but one of those that can almost be packed into a suitcase and carried about easily that was the secret of the flashily dressed men and women who called on bella lamar they were risking everything perhaps even honor itself on a turn of a wheel the fall of a card a guess on a horse why had bella lamar invited her here she asked herself at first constance was a little bit afraid that she might have plunged into too deep water she made up her mind to quit when her losses reached a certain nominal point but they did not reach it perhaps the gamblers were too clever but constance seemed always to keep just a little bit ahead of the game one person in particular in the group interested her as she endeavored intuitively to take their measure it was haddon halsey immaculately garbed with all those little touches of smartness which women like to see once she caught halsey looking intently at her was it he who was letting her win at his expense or was his attention to her causing him to neglect his own game and play it poorly she decided to quit she was a few dollars ahead for excuse she pleaded a headache bella accepted the excuse with a cordial nod and a kind inquiry whether she might not like to lie down no thank you murmured constance but the cards make me nervous to-night just let me sit here i'll be all right in a minute as she lolled back on the divan near the players constance noted or thought she noted now and then exchanges of looks between bella and watson what was the bond of intimacy between them she noted on mrs noble's part that she was keenly alive to everything that halsey did it was a peculiar quadrangle halsey was losing heavily in his efforts to retrieve his fortunes he said nothing but accepted the losses grimly mrs noble however after each successive loss seemed more and more nervous at last with a hasty look at her wrist-watch she gave a little suppressed scream how the time flies she cried who would have thought it as late as that really i must go i expect my husband back from a directors meeting at ten 
and it's much easier to be home than to have to think up an excuse. No, Haddon, don't disturb yourself. I shall get a cab at the door. Let me see. Two hundred and twenty-eight dollars. She paused as if the loss staggered her. I'll have to sign another I.O.U. for it, Bella. There. She left in a flutter, as if someone had winked out the light by which she, poor little butterfly, had singed her wings, and there was nothing for her but to fly away alone in the darkness with her secret. Halsey accompanied her to the door. For a moment she raised a questioning face to his, and shot a half-covert glance at Constance. Then, as if with an effort, adhering to her first resolution to go alone, she whispered earnestly, "'I hope you win. Luck must turn.' Halsey plunged back into the game, now with Bella holding a hand. He played recklessly, then conservatively. It made no difference. The card seemed always against him. Constance began really to feel alarmed at his manner. Once, however, he chanced to look up at her. Something in her face must have impressed him. Turning, he flung down the cards in disgust. "'That's enough for tonight!' he exclaimed, rising and draining another glass on the tray. "'Luck will come your way soon,' urged Bella. "'It all averages up in the end, you know. It has to.' "'How did you enjoy the evening?' insinuated Bella. "'Very much,' replied Constance enthusiastically. "'It's so exciting, you know.' "'You must come again when more of my friends are here.' "'I should like to, but tonight was very nice.' Halsey looked at her contemplatively. She had risen to go. As she took a step or two toward the door, still facing them, she found Halsey at her side. "'Shall we go over to Jack's for a bite to eat?' he whispered. There was as much of appeal in his undertone as of invitation. "'Thank you. I shall be glad to go.' Constance assented quickly. There was something about Haddon Halsey that interested her. Perhaps Bella and Watson exchanged a knowing glance as she crossed the hall for her wraps. Whatever it was, Constance determined to see the thing through to a finish, confident that she was quite able to take care of herself. Outside, the raw night air smote dankly on their fevered faces. As they walked along briskly, too glad to get into the open to summon a car, Constance happened to turn. She had an uncomfortable feeling. She could have sworn someone was following them. She said nothing about a figure a few feet behind them. The lively all-night restaurant was thronged. Halsey seemed to throw himself into the gaiety with reckless abandon, ordering about twice as much as they could eat and drink. But in spite of the fascination of the scene, Constance could not forget the dark figure skulking behind them in the shadow of the street. Once she looked up. At another table, she could just catch a glimpse of Drummond, of the Burr Detective Agency, alone, oblivious. Never did he look at them. There was nothing to indicate that he was even interested, but Constance knew that that was the method of his shadowing. Never for a moment, she knew, did he permit himself to look into the eyes of his quarry, even for the most fleeting glance. She knew, too, that there must be some psychological reason for his not looking at them, as he otherwise must have done, if only by chance. It was the method followed by the expert modern trailer. She knew that if one looks at a person intently while in a public place, for instance, it will not be long before the gaze will be returned. Try as she would, she could not catch Drummond's eye, however. Halsey, now that the strain of the game was off, was rattling along about his losses in an undertone to her. "'But what of it?' he concluded. "'Any day luck may change. As for myself, I go always on the assumption that I am the one exception, unlucky both at cards and love. If the event proves I am right, I am not disappointed. 
If I am wrong, then I am happy. There was something in the tone of the whimsicality that alarmed her. It covered a desperation which she felt instinctively. Why was he talking thus to her, almost a stranger? Surely it could not have been for that that Bella Lamar had brought them together. Gradually it came to her. The man had really, honestly, been struck by her from the moment of their introduction. Instead of allowing others, to say nothing of himself, to lead her on in the path he and Mrs. Noble and the others had entered, he was taking the bit in his teeth, like a high-strung racehorse, and was running away, now that Bella Lamar, for the moment, did not hold the reins. He was warning her openly against the game. Somehow the action appealed to Constance. It was genuine, disinterested. Secretly it was flattering. Still, she said nothing about Bella, nor about Mrs. Noble. Halsey seemed to appreciate the fact. His face showed plainly, as if he had said it, that here, at least, was one woman who was not always talking about others. There had been a rapid-fire suddenness about his confidences, which had fascinated her. "'Are you in business?' she ventured. "'Oh, yes,' he laughed grimly. "'I'm in business. Treasurer of the Exporting and Manufacturing Company.' "'But,' she pursued, looking him frankly in the face, "'I should think you'd be afraid to, er, become involved.' "'I know. I am being watched,' he broke in impatiently. "'You see, I'm bonded, and the bonding companies keep a pretty sharp lookout on your habits. "'Oh, the crash will come some day.' until it does. Let us make the most of it, while it lasts. He said the words bitterly. Constance was confirmed in her original suspicion of him now. Halsey was getting deeper and deeper into the moral quagmire. She had seen his interest in Mrs. Noble. Had Bella Lamar hoped that she, too, would play Will-o'-the-Wisp in leading him on? Over the still half-eaten supper she watched Halsey keenly. A thousand questions about himself, about Mrs. Noble, rushed through her mind. Should she be perfectly frank? "'Are you? Are you using the company's money?' she asked at length, pointedly. He had not expected the question, and his evident intention was to deny it, but he met her eye. He tried to escape it, but could not. What was there about this little woman that had compelled his attention and interest from the moment he had been introduced? Quickly he tried to reason it out in his heart. It was not that she was physically attractive to him. Mrs. Noble was that. It was not that fascination which Bella aroused, the adventurous, the siren, the gorgon. In Constance there was something different. She was a woman of the world, a man's woman. Then, too, she was so brutally frank in inviting his confidences. Over and over he turned the answer he had intended to make. He caught her eye again and knew that it was of no use. Yes, he muttered, as a cloud spread over his face at not being able, as usual, to let the gay life put the truth out of his mind. Yes, I have been using their funds. As if a switch had been turned, the light broke on Constance. She saw herself face to face with one of the dark shadows in the great city of high lights. How? she asked simply, leaning forward over the table. There was no resisting her. Quickly, he told her all. At first, with what little money of my own I had, I played. Then I began to sign IOUs and notes. Now I have been taking blank stock certificates, some of those held as treasury stock in the company's safe. They have never been issued, so that by writing in the signatures of myself and the other officers necessary, I have been able to use it to pay off my losses in gambling. As he unfolded to her the plan which he had adopted, Constance listened in amazement. And you know that you are watched, she repeated, changing the subject, and sensing, rather than seeing, that Drummond was watching them then. Yes, he continued freely, the international surety in which I'm bonded has a sort of secret service of its own, I understand. 
It is the eye that is never closed, but is screened from the man under bond. When you go into the Broadway nightlife, too often, for instance, he pursued, waving his hand about at the gay tables, run around in fast motors with faster company, well, they know it. Who is watching, I do not know. But with me it will be as it has been when others came to the end. Some day they will come to me, and they are going to say, We don't like your conduct. Where do you get this money? They will know then, too. But before that time comes, I want to win, to be in a position to tell them to go. Halsey clenched his fist. It was evident that he did not intend to quit, no matter what the odds against him. Constance thought of the silent figure of Drummond at the other table, watching, watching. She felt sure that it was to him that the surety company had turned over the work of shadowing Halsey. Day after day, probably, the unobtrusive detective had been trailing Halsey from the moment he left his apartment until the time when he returned, if he did return. There was nothing of his goings and comings that was not already an open book to them. Of what use was it, then, for Halsey to fight? It was a situation such as she delighted in. She had made up her mind. She would help Haddon Halsey to beat the law. Already it seemed as if he knew that their positions had been reversed. He had started to warn her. She now was saving him. Yet even then he showed the better side of his nature. "'There is someone else, Mrs. Dunlap,' he remarked earnestly, "'who needs your help even more than I do.' It had cost him something to say that. He had not been able to accept her help, even under false pretenses. Eagerly he watched to see whether jealousy of the other woman played any part with her. "'I understand,' she said, with a hasty glance at her watch and a covert look at Drummond. "'Let us go. If we are to win, we must keep our heads clear. I shall see you tomorrow.' For hours during the rest of the night Constance tossed fitfully in half-sleep, thinking over the problem she had assumed. How was she to get at the inside truth of what was going on across the hall? That was the first question. In her perplexity she rose and looked out of the window at the now lightening gray of the courtyard. There dangled the Lamar telephone wire, only a few feet from her own window. Suddenly an idea flashed over her. In her leisure she had read much and thought more. She recalled having heard of a machine that just fitted her needs. End of Part 1 of Chapter 4